So, um, so I'm honored to be with you guys this morning and for those of you on Zoom. And uh, really what I, what I want to um, jump into today is talking about what Vanessa and I started back in September. So in September, we, we, um, we did a thing where Vanessa and I were both up here, my wife, and we were sharing about fear. And we specifically talked about, um, well, I talked about the fear of the Lord, and she talked about the, the spirit of fear. And we really broke down a bit how the world says we should manage fear, how the Bible says we should destroy fear, and how the, how the spirit of fear can, can overwhelm us, how the fear of the Lord can direct us and consume us in his ways. And so we, we broke those down a bit, and I want to I build off of it because I feel there's more to unpack in relation to fear for the hour that we're living in. I think fear, one of the things to me that is the most troubling about fear is it can, it keeps your focus off of the Lord. Like it, it, a spirit of fear keeps your focus on that fear, right? So in this season, whatever the thing is that's, that is on the forefront that you fear, your eyes, your attention goes to it, right? And, and I'm going to, we're going to get into some storylines in scripture of people that had a spirit of fear come on them. Um, but the title of today's message is called The Power of Fear. And it's kind of a play on words because it's the power of the fear, the spirit of fear, but then in reverse, the power of the fear of the Lord, which, as we know, is so much greater, so much more consuming, so much more pivotal um, and directing. So the power of, the power of fear is... Um, is the title of today's message. I want to I wanna go through this, this case study I found on fear, all right? So this is, uh, it's from 1998. It was a high school in Tennessee, all right? And I'm, I'm just going to read it to you. Um, a teacher complained of a pungent gas-like smell in her classroom. Soon after that, she fell ill and reported symptoms such as nausea, shortness of breath, dizziness, and a headache. Almost immediately, several of her students in her class started to experience the same symptoms. And before long, the rest of the school was stricken. The building was evacuated as firefighters, ambulances, and police arrived to, on the scene to attend to the sick. That evening, the local emergency room admitted 80 students, 19 staff, and 38 were hospitalized overnight. But what was the mysterious toxic gas that had sparked the outbreak? Several extension, extensive allegations by the government agencies found nothing, Blood tests showed no signs of any harmful compounds. Instead, according to local epidemiologists, the fear of being poisoned had spread, fueling the symptoms experienced by everyone inside. So that on a report by the New England Medical Journal attributed the outbreak of a phenomenon known as a mass psychogenic illness that occurs when the fear of infection spreads, spreads just as virtuently as the disease itself. The students and the staff decided that based on the behavior of those around him, there was a real threat they needed to be afraid of. So you get that? Everybody's sick. Everybody, I'm not comparing this to COVID, by the way. I'm not saying that. COVID's real, okay? But I'm saying, I'm saying the fear in this situation, right? Everyone's sick in their minds, and they start going to the hospital. They check in overnight, but they're not actually sick. Like, they have given in to a spirit of fear. And you see, you see the power of fear to convince a whole school, or at least 80 people in this, that they are sick. And it actually impacts their physical body because they believed that they were poisoned. But it wasn't even true. So you, you see from this story alone just how fear can be so misleading and so consuming. And, it, and its power is in its deception and its ability to get us to focus on it. But we're going to break down today the beautiful freedom that we have in Christ and, and the ability through the fear of the Lord to crush any spirit of fear. We will not be duped into thinking that we're sick. We will not be duped into focusing on the things that want to get our attention instead of looking at Jesus. I mean, that's what we were doing this morning. What we were doing this morning, it was, we were laying aside whatever thing from our week that had got our attention, and we said, all hail King Jesus, the one who was and who is and who is to come. And it's from that posture that we can actually thrive in this season, and we will, 
because we're the body of Christ. As Bill's been talking, we have the incorruptible seed inside of us. Jesus was put to death and raised from the dead so that the spirit of God could come in you so you could experience salvation now and walk from the freedom of all fear. That incorruptible seed, it says in Isaiah 11, it says the spirit of the fear of the Lord will come on, and they're talking about Jesus, a messianic prophecy. And one of the things that it gives, it talks about wisdom and might, counsel and understanding, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So this, the fear of the Lord is actually packaged in the Holy Spirit, which you've been given and have full access to. All right, I just gave you the end of the message before we started because that's where I'm going and that's who we are. And I felt it in the worship this morning. Um, so I want to look specifically today at King David. I want to look at how King David, in his most trying moment, how he battled and defeated fear through the Holy Spirit and through the overcoming power of the Spirit of God and through, his, through a heart that sought after God's heart. All right? That's what we're looking at today. So before I get into David, let's look at the, the man who preceded him. And that's King Saul. So King Saul, his greatest leadership flaw was a fear of man. And you see this pretty, pretty laid out in 1 Samuel. So 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel are laying out the details of David's life. Of course, there's many other um, scriptures. We're going to focus on those. 1 Samuel 13 and 15, check it out later. Saul is afraid of men. And because of his fear of man, his kingdom is actually ripped away from him. And you see it in, in, in Samuel 13, where he actually, he's, he has a moment where the Philistines, which are, you know, the armies that are, you know, his biggest um, pain in his side, right? He's fighting the Philistines. His men are running away because they're waiting. They're waiting for, for Samuel, the prophet, to come. And Saul jumps ahead of what Samuel has said and starts sacrificing because he's afraid of, that the men are going to leave him. Because he's afraid he's not going to win the battle. And Samuel says, what have you done? Your kingdom is now going to be taken from you and given to another because you did not fear the Lord. Um, in 1 Samuel 15, you've got a very similar experience where the Lord directs Saul. And he says, go and annihilate these people, wipe everything out. And Saul partially responds to the Lord's request. He, he fears his men. And because he fears his men, they want to keep the spoils of the raid. He allows them to keep it. He even lies about it. And he's like, well, you know, we're going to sacrifice it unto the Lord. It's all good. We're going to give it to the Lord, the best stuff. But in his heart of hearts, he feared the men more than he feared the Lord. And he thought he could get away with doing things halfway. And he didn't. And Samuel reminded him, this is why your kingdom is being taken from you. And so who does God give the kingdom of Israel to? Who does he anoint? He anoints King David. Now, King David, his storyline is the most parallel of anyone in the Bible to Jesus Christ, right? So keep that in mind as we're going through the storyline of David. Um, and he's a shepherd, and he's anointed by Samuel, but then he has this whole process before he actually comes to, to be the king. Now, this is very intentional. God does not, process is a, is a thing designed by God to conform us into the image of Christ, to prepare us for the things of God. So right now, we're in a season where you are in a process, and God's conforming you to the image of Christ. And as much as you submit to what he's doing, so you will be shaped and formed like Christ for what is ahead. Now, David, he, he had to go through a lot of crazy to get to become king. But God, in his wisdom, allowed these things and and used it to craft and shape him as a man who feared God and did not fear man. He, David did not entertain the fear of the Lord or the fear of the world. And I want to show you how he got there. All right. So if we go to, I want to go to First Samuel chapter twenty-one. Um, and this is, I kind of have four points on fear here, four points about fear. This is my first point. My first point is that fear can consume you, all right? So we're going to go to 1 Samuel 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. And this is what, after David has fled, Saul is now enraged. He's already tried to kill him a few times, which is no good. And now he's literally like, this guy is coming from my kingdom. I'm, I've got to take him down. He's, he is running after David. So David goes and, and he looks for refuge. 
and he gathers this band of, you know, misfits, and they're, they're his, and he's kind of there, you know, that, that this is his lordship now, him and his 400, 600 men, um, but, but he's in a place of distress, and he's consumed with fear, so I want you to look for that as we read this storyline. 1 Samuel 21, verse 1. Now, Daniel ca- or now David came to Nob, to Abimelech, the priest. And, Ab- and Ahimelech was afraid when he met Daniel. And he said, why are you alone? And no one is with you. So David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send, send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to, to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my, of my hand or whatever can be found. I'm going to skip down to verse 6. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no other bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from the Lord to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, an Edomite the chief herdsman who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, is, is there not here on, on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Eph, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take it, take that, take it. There is none other except that one here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Do you see the desperation in David in this moment? A couple things. First of all, he's lying incessantly, right? He's claiming that he's on the king's business. He's actually running from the king. Okay, that's when you're lying, you know you might be consumed by fear, all right? You're trying to cover up. Secondly, he, he runs to the priests, right? Nob is like a literal a town of priests. And you would think, like, right, he's, he's going there to seek the Lord because he's in but he really seems to be more concerned about his own refuge. And he's, he's, he's working, he's using his own strength, you can tell, in this moment to try to gain some sort of security, some sort of peace, right, because Saul is after him. And so he literally goes in and he begins asking them, oh, do you got bread for me? Do you, can, can you give me a sword? I mean, these are his requests. He's operating from the flesh because fear has consumed his heart, all right? So this, this is one of the lowest moments um, that, that I've seen of David. Now, this man, uh, Doeg, right, the Edomite, he's standing here in front of the priest. And Doeg, what his name actually means, you know, his name means fearful. It means the feared one, all right? And, and this guy, he's like an insider with Saul, right? It says he's the chief's herdsman. So he's there. So he sees this guy, and he has to know in his heart. And he says later, actually, in the book of Samuel, I knew when he was there that this was going to be trouble. And so his response when he sees Doeg there is, do you have a spear? Do you have a sword? Can I, can I get some, you know, can I get some worldly things to protect me against, against, you know, Saul and his evil forces that are coming to consume me? So it, it just compounds his fear and his, and his really his, his heart is directed to get anything he can, no matter worldly things, worldly strength, to, in order to protect himself in his hour of need, all right? So he's so consumed by this fear that he forgets. He forgets who he is. He forgets the very things that got him where he is, all right? So David has been anointed king, right, by Samuel. Not only that, David took down Goliath, the great Philistine warrior. And I want to read what David said to the Philistine before he took him down. And this is when he was in the spirit, all right? David now is in the flesh. He's been consumed by fear. I want you to read when David's in the spirit, here's how he talks. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. The day the Lord will deliver you into my hand this day, and I will strike you and take your head from you. You skip down to the very end. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. 
Now, that is the spirit of God on David speaking. What we saw before is a spirit of fear. And it consumed him, and he forgot what God had done in him. But here's the key. It did not derail him for what God had for him. It did not. And we'll get to that. You know, this whole concept of, you know, do not be afraid, it's actually the most referenced um, words or commandments in the entire Bible, right? This word, do not be afraid, is the most referenced. It's like a hundred times different variations of do not be afraid are mentioned throughout the Bible. Isn't that wild? Doesn't that tell you something about, A, the potency of fear and the need to destroy it? And when that word, do not be afraid, is mentioned, most of the things that follow are God saying what he's going to do. Most of the things that follow are God refocusing people on his truth, his power, his strength, his ability to save. So anyway, that's just a fun thing to note. All right. So number one, fear can consume you. Number two, fear can compromise you. So David goes, we keep going with this story, and he, he leaves um, from this city, and he goes to Gath. Now, Gath is where the Philistines, or one of the Philistine um, leaders is located, right? And so he's literally going into the enemy's camp to get refuge. And it doesn't say, you know, if you look through, through his life, there's many times when David is seeking out the Lord, and the Lord tells him what to do. In this situation, it doesn't say, David sought the Lord, and the Lord said to go to Gath. That, that is not said in the, in, in the Bible. So I'd like to propose he's operating at a place of, of his flesh, and he literally turns to the enemy's camp to get refuge. So let's see how this goes for David, all right? So 1 Samuel 21, starting at verse 10. David arose and fled that day before Saul, and he went to Ashik, the king of Gath. And the servants of Ashik said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to him one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid. There you go. Very much afraid of Ashik, the king of Gath. Now, did you know that Goliath is from Gath? So he takes down Goliath, but the king of Gath, all of a sudden, because the king says, hey, we know this guy. We, this guy's supposed to be this mighty warrior. And all of a sudden, David's afraid, right? Totally not too different of a scenario, very different response. So what did David do? He changed his behavior before them and pretended madness in their hands. He pretended to be insane. He scratched the doors of the gate. He let saliva roll down on his beard. And then Ashik said to his servants, look, you see, this man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have, do I, have I need of a madman that you brought this fellow to play madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? It's kind of funny that they put this stuff in the Bible, right? <laughs> you know this is real, right? I mean, that's kind of how you know, maybe I would, if I was a king, then I'd be like, I got mad people all over the place, and you bring me this guy? Please. So, so this has got to be one of the lowest moments in David's, in David's life. I mean, this is the anointed king scratching around, drooling, and, and separating, compromising from who he really is. Uh, I mean, he, he's, he, not only is he compromised, he's literally, dis, he's so overcome by fear, he's disengaging with reality. I mean, he's completely numb to what's going on. He, he'd rather just act crazy and try to get out that way versus actually, you know, like seek God or, or do become alert and present to his situation, right? So in a sense, it works. They throw him out, <laughs> and, uh, and he continues his journey, all right? So I want to share a dream I had. It relates to this, to compromise. Um, and I shared this last time we were up here, when Vanessa and I were up here in September. And I want to share it again because I feel it's significant. Um, so it's a dream I had in August, right? And in August, it's a very jarring dream. In my dream, I'm in this giant church building. It's huge. And like, you know, stained glass, huge. And there's tons of people, believers, it's the church, like in this building. And there are obscene, there are just perverse things going on. Like it was, it was very jarring. There's perverse things happening in the building. There's accusations being made in the building. And I'm trying to 
get the lights on. So I'm like the facilities guy. I'm running around, which I'm kind of the facilities guy here, so maybe that's why. I'm trying to get the lights on, and I'm, I'm trying to hit the light switches. And, um, and, and I, I remember seeing, I mean, nobody here, nobody in New York, like old friends of mine, and they're talking and they're accusing, but in the meanwhile, they're having affairs and they're doing all these things, and I'm just like, I actually start weeping in the dream. And it's one of those dreams where you actually, you know, I was weeping, I think, when I woke up, or at least my soul was, like, depressed. And the weeping wasn't because, I, you know, these people are bad. The weeping was because they were severed. They were numb. Their consciences were completely severed. And they had no clue that what they were doing, what they were saying was hypocritical, that what they were doing, what they were saying was, was, was belittling God, was you know, was completely um, destroying their ability to share their faith. And, and it was, it was heart-wrenching for me. And it, so this was in August, right? And, and it, I knew that it was connected to the fear of man, this dream. When I woke up, I wrote it down in my journal. This is connected to the fear of man. We have allowed compromise in our camp because we fear man. And so we've, we've tried to be and reach the world, but we've let the world get into our hearts and, 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 and totally, like, and corrupt our ability to share Christ. Um, and, and so, anyway, it was a very jarring dream, um, but I wanted to share it, right? Fear can compromise you. And, and the fear of the Lord is what we really need to walk out of this, all right? And that's where I'm com- coming to. So, number three, fear can draw you near to God. This is the, the best part of fear. Because <laughs> even in our place of fear, even in your moments of fear in 2020, some of you might relate to this. You had this David-like moment where you sought the Lord and he answered you. All right? So even in our place of fear, in our most broken, weak place, where we feel consumed, overwhelmed, there's moments, and I believe some of them are in this season, where we're able to turn back to God, where our heart gets responsive to him again. It's almost like, you know, those electric shocks that happen if you're, if your heart's failing, bam, like you, you get awakened to his love. You get awakened to, to his glory, to his goodness. And David had one of those moments. And it came in his time of deepest trial. It came in his time of fear and despair. This is when this moment came for David. And the beauty of the Bible and, and this storyline is you can read about the story in Samuel, right? But we have the Psalms. We've got another layer of, of David's story. And in the Psalms, you see what's going on in this man's heart, right? Not just what's happening on the surface, what's happening in the heart of David. A man who was after God's heart, and that's why he was put in the position he was put in. So we're going to read, there's two Psalms that actually are from this moment in David's life. Psalm 56 and Psalm 34. We're going to read Psalm 34 for the first 10 verses. And this is one of those songs, oh man. So I'll tell you this story real quick. So my daughter, Lilu, she's three. You know how kids are always trying to get around stuff? You know, you tell them to do stuff, and they try to figure out ways to do it, like to not do what you said to do. Um, so, you know, people, people sometimes say, oh, my God. And so my girls sometimes so they'll say, oh, my God. I'm like, no, you can't say that. Like, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. Don't say that. Don't say that. And they're like, oh, but we sing that sometimes. We sing, oh, my God. And so I'm like, Okay, I think Vanessa was like, fine, like, if you want to say, oh, my God, then you have to sing it. You can't just say it, like, like, okay. So, so, the, so Lilu comes up with this song, right, and she's just going around the house singing it because she gets to say, oh, my God, if she sings it. And it's like the psalm, it's like Psalm 34, all right, here's how it goes. It goes, oh, my God, oh, my God, your faithfulness, I trust you. This is Lilu's song that she wrote, right? And she, she sings it out as loud as she can. And it's kind of like a freak out. I mean, she's not thinking this, but it's like, that's a freak out psalm. That's like a, I am so screwed. And, <laughs> and I'm kind of freaking out as I sing it. But anyway, she just made that up to get around the rules. But she's a prophet, perhaps. So, so Psalm 34, it's a freak out psalm. Um, and we're going to start in verse 1. And you know it's a freak out because I just told you the storyline, right? This is what's happening right now in, in, in David. Um, psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. 
Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. This verse is deep. This, I mean, this is a man hiding in caves. This is a man who is acting crazy and who's supposed to lead God's people. And he sought the Lord in his place of weakness and God heard his cry and delivered him from all fear. All of it. And he keeps going. They looked to him. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man, he cried out, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want in those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall lack any, shall not lack any good thing. I've just been meditating on this, on this psalm and the magnitude of what David's saying, given what he was experiencing, it's something for you and I to take note of. It's something for you and I to learn from. You see, David, just like that story of that scientific, you know, case study I gave you, David is, is a leader, right? That teacher in that school, she's a leader. She's someone people look to. And how David responds the whole nation looks to. And if David responds with the spirit of fear, what do you think they're going to do? That teacher responded with fear. She said, oh, I'm sick. I have this thing. The whole school got infected with fear, right? But David responds in faith with the fear of the Lord. The whole nation gets blessed. But it took a season and a trial and a process before David was in that position and he sought the Lord, and the Lord answered him. There's leaders in the body of Christ right now, and if you're in this room, you're one of them, that we are being called to step out of the spirit of fear, step into the fear of the Lord, and people are looking, and when they see it, they're going to want Jesus. When they see it, they're going to know this is not what the world has to offer. What is that peace? The world can't offer this peace. This is from Christ alone. Him who was crucified and raised from the dead and now lives in me. I want to encourage you not to give up in this season. Not to give in. Don't give up. Don't give in. The church is awakening in this hour. And we don't even know fully what it's going to look like. <laughs> Let's be real. It's a humbling season. It's a challenging season. But hearts are getting awakened. And I love that in David's moment of weakness, right, humility, he's acting crazy. He then seeks the Lord, delivered of fear, and what else? He experienced the, the goodness of God, right? How many times do we say, taste and see, the Lord is good, taste and see. But what's the context? The context is a lot of crazy, humbling things. <laughs> but I'm going to taste and see that he's good. He experiences his provision. He experiences God as a refuge. He experiences the fear of the Lord. And he has, David had this level of, of the fear of the Lord that marked him the rest of his life. And you see it, these famous passages where he can kill Saul, right? He can go ahead and, and take the throne, but he fears God. I believe this is the moment of transition in David's life where he learned to fear God on a whole nother level. And even he was afraid that he even cut Saul's garment off in that cave. If you remember, Saul comes in the cave. David's there. He's set up. The men say, kill him. You know, this is your moment. He doesn't fear the men. He says, no, I will not touch God's anointed. I fear God. That's where my eyes are set. Not on what you want. It's on what he wants because I fear him. And so I believe this was the turning point for David. Now, I love that this psalm also entails that they will look on him and be radiant, and their faces will not be ashamed. You think how David could have taken that moment of weakness and fear and said, oh, how can I possibly lead God's people? 
can you believe what I did? I acted crazy in front of a, you know, a major powerful leader. Uh, I, I'm not fit. I'm not fit. His anointing did not leave. And David did not give in to that lie either. So if you feared in this season, don't think it. Don't think for one second it disqualifies you. If you've acted crazy in this season because of something that spun you the heck out and it was embarrassing, it was humbling, don't think for one second that changes what you're called to in the coming season. Not a bit. Didn't change it for David and doesn't change it for you. The other thing about this psalm, Psalm 34, it's rich in revelation. I know many of you in this season have had such rich times with the Lord, such deep revelation, and I believe it's in these moments that it comes. And, and so if you even look at this psalm, right, this psalm is quoted by Jesus in the Beatitudes. This psalm is quoted by Peter, and I'm going to get to that. This psalm has a messianic prophecy built in it about Jesus' bones not being broken. I mean, there is deep, deep revelation that's flowing from this place of brokenness and weakness. But he sought the Lord, and he answered him. All right. So point number four. All right. I'm going back real quick. Point one, fear can consume you. Point two, fear can compromise you. Point three, fear can draw you near to God. Point four, what you fear determines how you fight. What you fear determines how you fight. If you have the spirit of fear or you have the fear of the Lord, you will respond very differently when, when you are oppressed, when you are attacked, when you are in fearful moments in your life. You will respond very differently depending on what you fear. I want to go to 1 Peter 3. Um, and 1 Peter 3, it's interesting, 1 Peter quotes Psalm 34 a couple times. And in this passage, um, Peter references Psalm 34. So I believe there's some real keys in here to how we respond in times of, of trouble, in times of persecution, in times of um, distress, just like David was in. So 1 Peter 3, you're going to start at verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. That's powerful right there. So wait, I'm supposed to return blessing for evil? Wait, this is how I fight in the fear of the Lord, blessing for evil. What, God? Like, th this is God's strategy, right? Not the world. Let's keep going. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So that last part, that's taken from Psalm 34. That's Psalm 34 directly quoted by Peter. Peter could have chose any, anything in the Old Testament to quote. He quotes Psalm 34. Why does he quote Psalm 34? Because in the strength and the recognition of God and the fear of the Lord, understanding his goodness, his power, his strength, that the righteous live before God and the evil live before him, but he sees all things. And he will have his way. So in that place, when somebody does evil to you, you can bless them. Because you know God is good. He's powerful. And he ultimately, he's sovereign. He's above all things. And he will give you your just reward. So we don't operate with the spirit of fear, which if somebody does evil to you, you slap them back. No, I'm going to fight, but I'm not going to fight like that. I'm going to stand up and fight in this moment for what's right and what's true and for the gospel of peace. But I'm not going to fight like the world. That's the key thing. He's still saying fight, battle, but you battle differently. You battle the way David did with Goliath, not the way David did when he was going crazy, all right? This is how we battle. So I want to I keep reading. This is verse, first is verse 13. We're going to keep going. Who is going to harm you if you are evil, eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Once again, do not fear. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for you hope that you have. 
But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so those who speak maliciously against you and your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So Peter is expounding upon Psalm 34, but he's giving in the context of of persecution. He's giving it in the context of people hating you, reviling you, and he's giving instruction for how, how to deal with that. And it's all coming from, the, from having a fear of the Lord. When you're walking in a fear of the Lord, you will respond in these ways to attacks. You will respond with, with truth, with hope, but you, and with gentleness and respect. All right? So it's not just enough to come and bring truth. But he says, you're going to come and you're going to bring it with gentleness and respect. And you're going to bring it with the righteousness of God. Not in the unrighteousness that you're being attacked with. I think it's so funny sometimes. We, um, you know, we pray, for, we pray for favor and we should. We, we pray and we, you know, say, God, like, open up these doors. Do these things. Bring us in the, into here. But sometimes... It takes a season like this for us to realize that there's real opposition. That when there's always favor, we don't actually come into the understanding that there's something to fight for and that the gospel is in itself in opposition to the world. Okay? So I believe we're heading into a season, we're already there, where there's increasing opposition, specifically towards the gospel, towards Jesus, and thus towards me and towards you. This is real. And if you go in and you don't find favor, don't think it's because you're doing something wrong or God's not blessing you. It might be because you're being led by the Lord and you're presenting something that challenges the world. And, and you're presenting something that's going to cost you something. All right? This ain't fun. I, I, writing, putting this together was not fun for me because it challenges me deep in my heart because I believe the church has to fight in this season, but we don't fight like the world. But we must fight, and there is a cost to be paid, all right? When you tell people Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, see how far that gets you. If you tell them God loves you, you know, that'll, that, that'll work for a bit. But when you tell them Jesus is the way, the only way, see how they respond. Some will fall down, and in this season, they will give their heart to the Lord, and others, they'll spit on you for it, all right? But the spirit of the fear of the Lord, we're not going to respond Based on what is thrown at us, we're going to respond in obedience to the Lord. We're going to seek him, and we're going to love no matter what, no matter what comes back at us. And, and that is a just totally different, <laughs> totally different approach, <laughs> and I love it because God's a genius. Um, so I want to lay out these concepts real quick, all right? So fear determines how you fight. So the fear of man. If you're fearing man, here's how I believe you'll fight, all right? Well, sometimes you won't fight at all, right? <laughs> if you're afraid of man, you're just like, yeah, I'm checked out. I'm going to act crazy. I'm not fighting. Um, other times, you'll fight with anger. You'll fight from a place of desperation like David. You'll fight from your own strength. You want to bring judgments, accusations. You want to you fight like the world, manipulate things to get what you want. You'll fight with no discernment. You'll just be flailing around, trying to trying to appease that thing deep inside of you that's afraid. And when you fight, you open the door for envy, for disunity, and you'll allow evil into your life because you'll be compromised. That's when you fight with the fear of man. When you fight with the fear of God, you fight with truth. You fight with gentleness, with respect. You fight with God's strength. You trust his judgment. You trust what he says, his ways. He sees all things. He'll make all things right. You fight from a place of peace. You fight from a place of conviction, not only regarding what you're saying, but how you're saying it. And I believe through this, through the fear of God, you will have unity. Unity will exist when we fear the Lord. Unity in the body. But I got to tell you, I don't believe unity will exist with the world. I don't believe it. We're supposed to pursue unity in the body. But you cannot attach yourself to unrighteousness. Do not unify with that. Do not. 
And so I, I'm afraid sometimes we try to apply this unity that's supposed to be between the brethren, brothers and sisters. We try to apply it to the world, and we find ourselves hitched, hitched up to compromise. Ephesians 6 talks about how we, you know, putting on the armor of God, right? This is a great analogy of how do we fight, right? And the whole point, or the whole, it starts off with the full armor of God is so that we can stand firm, firm against the enemy. The enemy is not a person. The enemy are the principalities, the, the powers that wage war. So when we fight, we also have to, this is how we fight. Not against people, against principality, against higher level darkness, the devil and all his schemes. That's what we're battling against, all right? Ephesians 6 also says, here, here's the weapons of our warfare, okay? The belt of truth, right? Those that fear the Lord, you fight with truth. You fight with truth. You can't even keep your pants up without truth. Come on, you, got, you need your belt. The breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate of that is how you fight with righteous actions towards one another, towards the, in the body of Christ and outside. You fight by shotting your feet with the gospel of peace. Isn't that awesome? You fight with the gospel of peace. That is, I mean, that is not a worldly strategy because that's where their true trans transformation comes from. Not in convincing somebody of an argument, but by giving them the gospel that they actually have the living Christ in them and their life gets transformed. I mean, that's a pretty good strategy for, for, for taking, for bringing the kingdom of God, right? Salvation is a good strategy, all right? We fight with the shield of faith. We fight with the word of God, the spirit of the Lord. That is our, that's our most offensive weapon. Isn't that interesting? It's the word of God that is the actual sword. Everything else is kind of a, you know, a defensive sort of thing, but that's, that's the thing that we wield that actually cuts through. And isn't it beautiful that that's God, right? His word, his spirit. It's not about your strength. It really isn't. And lastly, he says, pray in the spirit, right? That's what we did. That's what Bill was talking about last week. If you're in a battle and you're going to fight, you got to pray in the spirit. And that, that, that is because you're accessing the spirit of God and his strength and not your own. And you're bypassing your mind's desire to fight for you. Um, all right, so I want to tell a quick story, and then, and then I'm going to land the plane. Um, so I, most of you don't know this about me, but I used to really not be able to wake up very well, all right? So I could sleep so hard until I had children, and then everything changed. Before I had kids, I'd fall asleep, and you could not wake me up for the life of me. So even in college, I'd be late for classes and things, right, because my alarm clock would go off, and I just wouldn't wake up. And I was just such a deep sleeper. So my parents, they got me this alarm clock, uh, and it had wheels on it. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of these, but literally when it goes off, it jumps off your bed, right? And, and then it runs around and tries to find a place to hide. <laughs> so you literally not only have to get up and, like, turn it off, but you have to find it. So, so this thing would go, and my roommates, it would drive them crazy, right? Because this thing is just running all over the house, making tons of noise. I'm just sleeping there, you know, have my light in my face. Nothing's waking me up. And so, so anyway, that was me and my, my runaround um, alarm clock. But I, I feel right now there are alarms going off. Like, there's some serious alarms. And if, you're, if you are seeking the Lord, or if, honestly, you don't have to be seeking the Lord. If you are a human being, like, you are aware of the alarms. But I, I'm saying for the church itself, there are alarms going off. There are alarms going off, and we cannot roll over in this moment. And equally, so we can't go back to sleep, right, and, and let fear, like, take us, numb us out, say, yeah, we're not going to engage. We're not going to fight. You know, we're just, we're just going to hide in the, in the cave. Um, but we also can't wake up and start fighting with our own strength and not in, not in that fear of the Lord, thinking, oh, there's alarms going off, and I've got to do this. I've got to gain more knowledge. I have to do this. I have to build this. I have to start this. That is equally not productive, okay? So with the alarms, we have to have a maturity in the, in the body to know how to respond. And I believe the fear of the Lord is the place where we, that maturity is going to come out in this season. Because you can't respond either way and, and really be successful in, in what's happening on the earth. I really don't believe that. But in this hour, right, there is... I would put it this way, um, and I've heard it said this way. We need to reach out, but we also need to resist. 
all right? Reach out, but also resist. What do I mean by that? I mean reaching out, loving people, sharing truth, sharing the gospel, resisting evil, resisting what is dark and what is not good and what is not of God. We need to actively be doing both of those. And that's where the fear of the Lord is so powerful because it comes with a hatred of evil. You hate evil. You love people, but you hate evil, and you don't want anything to do with it because you know how destructive it is, and you know you live before God. So in a season where many Christian values, many, many things that you know, would be perhaps normal in the past, now if you say them, they, they could be considered hate speech. They could be considered things that are extremely offensive to other people. And so we have to understand where people are coming from. But once again, we reach out, we love them, but we resist darkness. There's no, there's no unity in unrighteousness, all right? And the church is the one that stands in an hour like this and declares what is good and what is right and what is true and declares the gospel regardless of the cost, all right? We're in a unique moment. I, I wanna, I'm trying to get around the shift myself. And so I'm sharing this because we got to know there's a shift. And we know it from a, you know, physical worldview perspective. But do we know it from the church's role in what's happening right now? Do we know it? I'm still getting my head wrapped around it. So just to use an example, and this is one of many, you know, if you were to say that a boy is, is, could be a girl or a girl could be a boy, right? If, if you were to say that, that in this day and age could be considered Hateful could be considered, you know, something that somebody would be really upset at you about and maybe wouldn't wouldn't let you speak, wouldn't get, you know, wouldn't give you the promotion, wouldn't do whatever it is. Right. Even that statement in itself, which is 100 percent against the word of God, 100 percent against what how God has uniquely made people. He's made people you to enjoy your gender, you to enjoy the body God placed you in. This is completely against the ways of God. But some have come, and they've come with a different spirit. And as people say, oh, you know, the people that say they're, they're, they're full of hate. No, we're not full of hate. We're full of love. But we, we have to reach out, and we have to resist. We cannot resist these worldly ideologies that are going to come and try to compromise the gospel and try to muzzle our mouths. The church cannot be muzzled in this hour. But remember, we don't fight like the world, and we don't come with a spirit of fear. The spirit of fear wants you to look at yourself and say, how do they perceive me? It really wants you to say, well, what I say and what I do is based on their perception of me, how they're going to respond. This is no way for the church to be operating in the current environment, probably any environment, for be real. But the fear of the Lord says, I'm looking at Jesus. I'm radiant in him, and I'm going to say what he says to say with such love and grace and I'm going to love you. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to hide from you. I'm not going to try to separate myself from the things that, that I don't agree with or the things that, are, um, that I feel are evil or wrong. No, I'm going to reach out, but I'm going to resist those things. I'm not going to entertain them. I'm not going to agree with darkness because I've been made to be salt and light. So this is our posture in this season. And I'm talking about, you know, gender dysphoria. I'm talking about this specific topic. But you name it, right? There's many, many, many areas where this applies. I'm just choosing this one as an example, okay? Um, worship team, could you, all, um, could you all go ahead and come up, please? I'm, gonna, I'm about to land the plane. Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting how we, we're praying for revival, for reformation, for outpouring. But with that, there are these really hard moments, right, where, where there's injustice and unrighteousness that we are supposed to challenge in love. And those moments, right, we don't always think about those. And we pray, revival, reformation, transform every industry, every sphere. You know, we just think of the Spirit of the Lord coming, you know, everybody's, everybody's rejoicing and saved. But I believe it's packaged a bit differently. But I believe the Lord will still have his way. And I believe, I believe the things I'm sharing you today, the fear of the Lord is a key piece in how we see that come to pass in this generation, in our lifetime. God is looking for those who fear him. And I believe there's a moment right now where God's been purifying, refining his church. 
He's been delivering us from fear, just like David, and causing us to walk in a fear of the Lord so that we can be raised up as these leaders like David was. Leader who is not perfect. A leader that experienced fear in his heart, in his life. Experienced chaos, sorrow. Experienced, he was mad at God. But in his moment, he sought the Lord and he answered him. He delivered him of all their fears. And I believe the church is being delivered of fear so that we can deliver many, many people. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And that's just in New York. <laughs> could, everybody, could everybody stand up, please? So I just want to pray over you as we as we close here and uh, zoom people you st stay on a bit for this prayer and then I'll, I'll send you to your rooms. OK. I sound like I was punishing them. No, the rooms are fun. Go to the room, please. I, it's not a punishment. The fear of the Lord draws you close to the Lord, not away from the Lord. I promise. Um, so, Father God, we just we thank you, Holy Spirit. Right now, we just welcome Holy Spirit, the one who is the one who is full of wisdom and counsel and might and the fear of the Lord. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come have your way in our hearts. And I want you to just put your hands out, and we just say, come, Holy Spirit, come have your way. Come strengthen us. Come overwhelm us with your love. Come overwhelm us in the fear of the Lord, that we would fear you and you alone. Father, I pray for this generation of fearless ones, that the fear of the world would not consume us, that the fear of the Lord would keep us from compromise, that the fear of the Lord would meet us in, in, in our place of worldly fear, in our place of frustration. I pray that the fear of the Lord will show us how to fight rightly, will show us how to love mercy, will show us how to live justly, God. I pray, Father, that your fear would guard us and protect us all the days of our life. And I pray, God, that you would deliver us just like you did David. And I just speak to every person here, you are not disqualified for the fear that you have felt and you've experienced, even this morning or, the, or during this whole pandemic. You are not disqualified for your fear. But you are here, you are seeking him, you are in church, you are on Zoom, and he's meeting you. He's meeting you in this place. He's equipping you to lead his people, to declare his gospel of peace, to operate in righteousness, in justice, in mercy. We thank you, Lord, that mercy triumphs over judgment. We thank you, Father, for the Spirit of God crying out in us, mercy, for the Spirit of God bringing forth the gospel of peace in a time of chaos and silencing every doubt, every fear in our heart. In Jesus' name.